This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Andrew Horn. He's the founder of Tribute.co, a video messaging platform with 300,000 plus users that the New Yorker hails as Hallmark 2.0. Previously, Andrew started an award-winning nonprofit venture called Dreams for Kids DC and won the Mayor's Community Service Award for his leadership there. In addition to leading companies, Andrew is a certified coach and facilitator who supports mission-driven entrepreneurs to build the life and business of their dreams. He is a trained communication strategist who frequently coaches CEOs on the creation of TED Talks and investor presentations. In 2017, Andrew started Junto, a not-so-secret club for the exploration of modern manhood and personal transformation, and leads monthly men's retreats around the United States. He frequently speaks for Fortune 500 companies and top-tier conferences on the new standard for leadership communication and how to win buy-in for your priority projects. He hosts a top-rated podcast called What's the Big Ideal? <laughs> Idea is a proud papa to hero, husband to badass entrepreneur, Mickey Agrawal, and will be releasing his first book, Social Flow, in 2021. Thrilled to have you here with me this morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) So funny. It's so funny listening to all that stuff. I'm like, man, that's like a lot. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and it's funny. I think when, when you, uh, you know, organically, these are things that you've done and they're a part of you as a human being. I, sometimes I feel like we get disconnected from some of our accomplishments, but obviously all these dots get us to where we are today. It's what's fun. It's also, as I, as I listen to it, I, I oftentimes think about this of like, what's the, my my mom, who you know, mm-hmm. think about of like what's the through line? What's the theme that like ties everything together? And so even as I look at all those things that can look different between you know adaptive athletics or men's work, and I, and I, I look at the theme that goes through everything as as communication and human connection, and like mm-hmm. how those two things really come together, and that's really been a driving force in in all of those businesses. Well, and you know, nowadays with social distancing, you know, how are you, how are you and your family faring in the great big apple? Well, you know, the, the past two months have been a whirlwind for both me and my wife. We're both entrepreneurs. And as you mentioned, you know, when I wrote that bio about three months ago, our, our company tribute had about 300,000 users on our site. And basically what's happened over the past two months is our, our company has about 3000 X like our, our traffic. And so we're now near a million And, you know, we'll have 7.5 million visits on the site this month. Our our revenue has 30x. We decided to make the core product completely free for people. So we've been really, you know, helping schools basically run tributes for their students who can't graduate. And so Mm -hmm. I've been really heads down on on that company. It's been a a really crazy growth moment there. And, And my wife, Mickey, runs this bidet company called Tushy. And so as many of you have probably heard about the the great toilet paper toilet paper crisis of 2020 <laughs> yes. so bidets are a hot commodity and you know mm-hmm. being written up on the cover of new york times kind of magazine and, and all sorts of other stuff and so her company's been been really kind of taking off as well so we've both been really focused there and we escaped to santa barbara so i'm looking out at you know mountains and i can see the ocean and wow. we're lucky because we're usually in brooklyn but um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been business and family, and we've been like, how can we help each other, help the world as much with our businesses, and be as present as possible with each other? And so we're we're doing okay and trying to help how we can. 
Yeah, you know, being heart centered is is definitely the way to go. I'm I'm in Washington D.C. with a 12 year old and a 14 year old, and you know, it's been interesting navigating these times. I, I in some ways, I'm grateful that they are old enough to be able to rationalize with them. But three out of four of us are introverts, and the one extrovert was the one who really, really struggled. And what do you mean I can't really go outside? I can ride a bike, but I can't actually be around my friends. And I said, yes, it's really kind of a bummer. So I'm glad that you're in a position where, you know, you're, it sounds like you all are thriving and, and uh, definitely um, given, you know, the circumstances, a lot of people are learning and a lot of people are spending more time. I was saying to someone that my podcast, you know, a lot of podcasts are getting less listens because people aren't, you know, in the gym or driving to work or having long commutes. And, and I actually said, you know, our podcast in and of itself has gotten a lot more downloads. So, People are finding value in in listening and and being at home, which I think is really really critical uh, during this time. Yeah. Um, so, I'd love to hear you know your thoughts on you know social distancing and how that's impacting people you know on a mental health perspective. I know that um, you know my greatest concern as a healthcare provider are the people who are by themselves and aren't in a position to be around others. You know, either by choice or you know, living circumstances, you know, a lot of the social distancing is creating a, an exacerbation, a lot of underlying mental health concerns uh, and isolationism. So I'd love to dive into that. Yeah. I mean, you know, so much of my work deals with, like we just spoke about communication and human connection. And so in these times where we can't be physically with people, which is so important to foster the, these feelings of connection, I think that we need to become really intentional about how we're communicating in these, these online mediums. And, you know, it's like the Zoom room blues is now mm -hmm. just an international meme because people get it kind of like this, this feeling of dread of getting onto a Zoom room with their coworkers or their friends. It's like they want to be there, but it's just not giving them what they really mm -hmm. need. And so, you know, a lot of what I've been doing is Later today, I meet with, you know, we do a, an open men's group every single Tuesday called The Gathering, where people come together to simply be authentic, to explore a different topic. Tonight, we're talking about sex, and it's a place where whenever our men come into a Zoom room, it's like some of the things I think we can do as people who are leading these types of gatherings in the digital context is really just setting the container for people of like mm -hmm. letting them come in and saying like, okay, here's our, our shared purpose. We're here to... X, giving people a shared purpose for being there. So they're not just on a Zoom chat, kind of like hanging back. They're there with a purpose. And on top of that, it's like, what, what's, what are the, the values that we have here? So it's like when they come in, I said, whatever you're feeling right now, if you are exhausted, if you're mm -hmm. excited, if you don't want to be there, bring all of that. Your authentic self is, is the, the exact thing that we want to bring here. And so you have guys there who are like disheveled and you have guys who are, you know, whatever it is, but it's just that that ability to be authentic and natural and not need to put on a face. Cause it's so often when we're, we're communicating in the digital realm, it's through Instagram or Facebook, mm -hmm. it's the polished image of ourself. And so when we see the real, yeah, I'm in California. So Andrew who just woke up at seven and now we're on the podcast <laughs> and it's, they don't want to see that. And so it's to give people permission to just be real. There is, is so special. And I think again, just when we are communicating in the digital realm, one of the, the most important things I think we can consider is that intentionality mm -hmm. is what do I want to accomplish here? How do I want to show up? And that kind of intentionality is what makes these kinds of connections more meaningful, the, where they can actually add depth. Uh, because I think what we're all seeing is just because you are looking at someone through a screen does not mean that you're going to connect with them. Mm -hmm. And so the, the big thing that I think will foster that is, is intentionality. I love that. And, you know, I find it interesting that, 
you know, there's this misconception. I'm the mother of all boys. Uh, so I also feel a connection to your mom because she has all boys. Uh, you know, trying to get, you know, young men to be able to open up and communicate is so critical. And so I have a 14 year old who, you know, he's on the precipice of full teenage dumb. He's taller than me. His voice has changed. You know, every once in a while I get a bro hug if I'm lucky. You know, how, how do we condition our, our males to want to be open? Because I find that, you know, when I was in the medical realm, I mean, it was very hard for the male physicians and male nurses that I work with to show vulnerability and to open up and, and, you know, feel comfortable, uh, largely because I think as a society, men are taught to keep everything inside and be stoic. Uh, I think that's the, the prevailing, that's been my experience, the prevailing kind of mindset. So how do you kind of foster that environment where men feel safe to open up and, and want to contribute? Uh, because I would imagine that, you know, if men are conditioned, you know, largely to be kind of introverted with their feelings that, you know, being in an experience like that, where they feel safe and they feel comfortable. And as you mentioned, they feel intentional about their experiences really makes a big difference. A hundred percent. And you know, it's funny is it? so as a, as a facilitator, you know, when I just spoke about how do, how do we set the container mm-hmm. for guys to come into a zoom room to, to feel like they can be themselves where they can truly connect, where they can be present with the other people that are there and the the foundation of that is the container it's mm-hmm. what is our intention what is our purpose what are our values how do we want to show up and i think that a similar thing when it comes to liberating the emotional experience of men it's so much of it is the is the container is actually mm-hmm. creating a space where men can experience themselves differently and i know that my own experience again is that for for men of even my generation but the generations before me there was a very rigid ideal of mm-hmm. masculinity masculinity just you know simple way to understand it is a collection of characteristics traits and behaviors that we associate with the masculine male experience mm-hmm. and so you know you have this idea of the the warrior provider sacrificial non-emotional always you know confident and the, the reality for the vast majority of men is that that is not their experience, but mm-hmm. also, you know, we, we were never given the opportunity to tap into that authentic, vulnerable, emotional mm-hmm. side of ourselves. And so what we can provide for young men is just creating spaces where you have trained facilitators that are making these types of experiences to talk about mm-hmm. some of these other sides of their experience, whether that is sadness, fear, shame, which are completely prevalent. But for mm-hmm. me... I never really had that experience to communicate with my friends or perhaps like other guys that were on the mm-hmm. football team about some of those sides of myself. And what I think happens and what's so powerful is that what I, what I think about in terms of liberating the, the total and complete expression of, of emotions from all people, but especially men who I work with, is that it's not an, it's not an idea. It's not a technique. It's not a tool. It's the embodied experience. Is that what we think about is how do we give the embodied experience of being completely honest about what we're feeling? And, you know, I remember like when I get goosebumps when I talk about it, but one of the first times that I ever had that experience when I was 24, where a facilitator was with me and three of my friends as I was on this kind of alternate bachelor party before getting married and we played this game where we were relating to a card that he would pull it. And we'd have to say the first thing that we were thinking about. And someone pulled a newspaper in, in front of four of my best friends, but new friends. And I said, you know, this makes me think that I'm not well read. And oftentimes when I'm in really high performing groups of entrepreneurs or smart people, I feel really self-conscious and like, I don't have anything to contribute. And it was the first time that I had ever expressed this insecurity. And I was terrified Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be perceived as this 
always confident, brilliant, young mm-hmm. entrepreneur. And then one by one, the way that the game works is that people can relate to what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And so they went around and every single guy there said the exact same thing. It's like, mm-hmm. I had that same fear. And it was like, now, you know, we were able to relate to people on this human mm-hmm. level. We just humanized each other. And this mm-hmm. just very human experience of insecurity as a young male entrepreneur, as a human. And it transformed the, the nature of how we were able to connect with one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's so cool is that, you know, even at these young ages, really starting in, in kind of high school and then moving onwards, is that if we can provide these types of spaces where men, anyone can just get real about their experience, mm-hmm. talk about what it is that they're feeling in a space where that is celebrated and we can help people understand why that is, is a sign of strength, which is, again, you know, through the modality that I practice called Gestalt, the, the founder, Fritz Perls, would always say, what we don't express, we suppress. Mm-hmm. What we don't express, we suppress. So when you help people to understand that when they, they hold on to their emotional experience, mm-hmm. that it's going to stay in them and it's going to leak into their lives in these unintentional, unconscious ways. So whether that is slamming a door, whether that is like numbing out and drinking mm-hmm. to avoid feelings, or whether that is, you know, as we saw with things like the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. violence, you know? And so it's this type of experience in our emotions is, is not just good for us, a way to learn about how we're feeling, but it's, it's truly, I believe, a service to the people around us mm-hmm. and something that, that we need to be more conscious of. And what's great is that now, there are a lot of programs that are becoming available through men's retreats, through men's groups in, in high schools and middle schools, social emotional learning, mm-hmm. where these types of spaces are created for, for people to just feel their feelings. I think that's so critical. And I'm not just saying it from the veil of a mom of all boys, but you know, there were so many good nuggets in what you just said, but let's touch on imposter syndrome because that's exactly what you were referring to. And it's, it's a terrifying thing to go through. I was having a conversation with a colleague recently and I said, they were asking me, did you ever have imposter syndrome? I said, of course, first time I was a nurse, you know, I was an ER nurse in busy Baltimore. First time I was a nurse practitioner, certainly as an entrepreneur and stepping into that space of accepting that probably every other person in your same situation feels exactly the same way. And I agree with you that you know, when you recognize that there are other people experiencing exactly the same frustrations, emotions, um, insecurities, it's so profoundly freeing. And I agree that, you know, we need to facilitate and to uh, permit our young men to have safe places to be able to have these feelings and conversations. I know when I look at my children, Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armour Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armour's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mycosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including 
including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armrest Colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's dot com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. A great deal about our focus on everyday wellness is on supporting gut health. And one of my new favorite ways to recommend to family and friends and even clients is to consider colostrum. And so Equip Foods has an amazing product that helps to improve immunity and gut health and recovery. And each scoop contains grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free colostrum. And if you're wondering what colostrum is, it's a nutritional powerhouse that serves as the first source of nutrition for mammals in nature. It's been shown to enhance immune function, gut health, and recovery with vital nutrients such as lactoferrin, growth factors, and prolon-rich polypeptides. Colostrum is a natural milk-like fluid produced by mammals immediately following delivery of the newborn. And while colostrum is a dairy product, it does not contain milk or lactose. So most people with lactose intolerance usually find colostrum very easily digestible and beneficial to gut health. You can use one scoop a day. You can mix it in things like coffee or mix it in shakes or even yogurt or even some of your baked food recipes. As I mentioned, has a lot of health benefits, including research demonstrating the improvement in a reduction in inflammation, promoting good gut flora, and supporting restoring leaky gut to normal permeability. And what I love best is that Equip Foods is very ethically focused. Their cows are humanely raised and ethically treated, and cows produce an excess of colostrum when nursing. So only after their babies get what they need are they able to source the excess colostrum for use in their products. There is three grams of colostrum in each scoop and one serving in comparison to main competitors has just one gram. And research demonstrates that this dose, the three grams, actually promotes more benefits to gut health, immune function, recovery, and vitality. So if you'd love to take care of your health, you can go to www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20 to get 20% off your first order. That's www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20. You definitely want to check this out. In particular, I have one that's very expressive and one that's very introverted and doesn't express as much. And so I, I see him get frustrated to a point where he will start to, he's so frustrated he wants to cry, but he suppresses mm. it. Mm. And I always tell him like, buddy, it is totally okay. If you feel like you need to go upstairs, because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to show that side. And so what are we setting our, our young men up to for failure if we don't allow them the opportunity to have safe places 
to be able to have those conversations and to be able to share so openly and to feel comfortable and confident being able to do that and know that there's no judgment. It's just their process. Yeah. Which is, again, it's, I think that one of the things that even I I would acknowledge here is like why I think container setting is so important is because Mm -hmm. as humans, I think that we, we naturally judge. It's like, it's how we we classify people Mm -hmm. and understand the world. But when you come into a space and you can set some values that Mm -hmm. say it's like in this space, you know, like our goal is to be as authentic and real as possible. Mm -hmm. Our goal is that when you can share what you're experiencing, you're actually standing you're taking a stand for the Mm -hmm. other boys or men who are in this group because then you're making it easier for them to share their thing courage in this space is sharing that thing first and so when you can basically flip that and and help people to understand that you Mm -hmm. know then it makes it a little bit easier and it's like in this space it's like judgment is a projection of our own insecurities yes and so it's as soon as as soon as you understand that so then everyone is experiencing their feelings in in a specific way that's there it transforms how people can relate to themselves. And again, that was my experience and introduction into this work with, with setting Gestalt was, it was one of the first times that as a student of communication, and and I could tell you so many techniques about how to tell a story and how to ask the right question and how to lead a talk and how to close one out. But the reality was that until I started setting this work, I did not trust myself is that Mm -hmm. I couldn't go into a talk without having talking points and what I needed to cover. I said, I did not trust myself. I had so many reasons why I needed to package what I was going to say so that I could get the result that I wanted. But ultimately what I explored in this is that the the most powerful thing I think we can unlock in ourselves as, as communicators, as relational beings is this deep, authentic truth. It's learning how to wield what it is that is, is authentic and real in us and bringing that into the world. It's like, because in today's society, again, like what we are starved for is realness. Yes. And when, and when people are real and you know that, you know, those speakers, it's like everyone's seen them. You know, it's like mm-hmm. when, when people see like a, a starlet walking on the red carpet and they say she has presence, presence is someone that is just completely owning their present mm-hmm. moment experience. It's like they're in their, they're not in their head. They're just there. That's mm-hmm. presence. You know, when someone is real, when someone is moting, I learned this from one of my, my mentors in, in men's work, but they say that as humans, we're biologically engineered to pay attention to the expression of emotion. Mm-hmm. You think about how long we have existed. And for so many of us, like so much of that time, we were nonverbal. It's like when someone mm-hmm. is emoting, we're like, what's happening? What right. am I supposed to be paying attention to? And so it's when someone is emoting, we're there. You know, mm-hmm. we can tell that it's like when we're in men's groups or men's retreats, like you, you've, we can all empathize with that experience of talking to someone. Mm-hmm. And then your head is just like, what's going on over there? Yeah. What are those people talking about? <laughs> yeah. Right. And what I can tell you for sure is that when someone is really emoting, when they're in a real story or real experience, your head's not like what's happening in that conversation, right. you know? And so it's why that, that realness, I think is, it's kind of like the last bastion of, of what we can all seek for in terms of kind of really upping our game relationally and, and as communicators. I love all of that. I really do. <laughs> and as someone who enjoys public speaking, even as an introvert, uh, it is what I believe to be, it's an art. Obviously we can fine tune it, but I know that we both share that we have um, had the opportunity to be on the TEDx stage. And I believe you were uh, a very young, not that you're not still young, you were a, a much, a little bit younger gentleman when you did that. And I think that's so impressive because for me, 
as an introvert, doing a TED talk was all about pushing my boundaries, making me a little uncomfortable, you know, doing something that puts me outside my comfort level that's, um, you know, fairly safe. And yet I, I can imagine you were 18. I was, so I had just graduated from Virginia Tech. So I was actually 20, I was 21 or 22. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Clearly, clearly that. Uh, no, that, I mean, same, same, but, same, same space. Yeah. But still, you know, so young. And so what was the impetus for wanting to share your message? You know, we say that the message worth sharing with the world. I love that you asked that question. Cause it's a, it's a, I, one of my favorite questions to ask people is like, what are the, the transformative moments of, of your life? Mm-hmm. And like, and so getting to that stage and what I shared there was, was definitely one of those. So I, I grew up in, in Hawaii, experienced a great deal of, of bullying, just isolation as like a, a middle-class white dude going mm-hmm. to public school in Hawaii. And uh, so I felt like real feelings of loneliness growing mm-hmm. up. I knew, I knew what that felt like and it sucked. And, and when I moved to uh, Northern Virginia and went to high school there, I went to Virginia Tech, it's like, I just remember like my, my core modus operandi was like, you are, don't be lonely again, because that mm-hmm. sucked. And I just remember that I, and I, so I would, I really wanted to fit in. I really wanted to have community. And the way that I found that was through partying, was mm-hmm. through women. Um, and that was really kind of like how I was, I was enjoying my life and I was mm-hmm. really social and I was a party animal and I was promoting in nightclubs when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I like, I thought that that was going to be my life when I was going to graduate from college. And it was just going to be more of the same and it's fun. But also at the same time, like I was starting to realize that like it was kind of this roller coaster of mm-hmm. I would go and I would I would have a party or I would be with a woman and then there would be kind of a crash afterwards and I mm-hmm. wasn't feeling good about how I was really conducting myself. So I would have mm-hmm. these kind of peak moments and then these valleys and mm-hmm. it's and I, I had this moment when I was a senior in college. I met this guy named uh, Steve Robbins who was a, a career consultant at Babson University and this this really brilliant coach. And he was one of the first people who, who asked me this question. He said, so what do you want to do after graduation? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, maybe like I'll like keep promoting nightclubs, like work in a, in a hotel. And he was like, okay, cool. Why? He's like, I, I don't know. And he's like, well, what do you care about? Mm-hmm. And I said, money, making money, uh, women, and partying. Mm-hmm. And he laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, so this was the extent of my, my thinking when I was 20 years old. And then he said, do you know the difference between happiness and pleasure? And I was like, no. And he Ooh, said, um, he said, well, so pleasure is exciting, but fleeting. It's like, you need to kind of like refill it to feel good over and over again. And he mm-hmm. said, but, but happiness, like the things that make you happy, you know, are long lasting. It's like you do something that makes you happy and you can look back on it days, weeks, months later, and it still brings you those kind of Mm -hmm. kind feelings. And he said, so what, what brings you pleasure versus like, what makes you happy? And I didn't, I didn't really like have a lot of things that were making me happy in that time. I had a lot of pleasure and I was like this pleasure seeking being. And I just remember that basically, as I started to think about like what really filled me up and not having a lot of it, it set me on this path of basically I was going to work um, in the hotel industry. After I graduated from college, I decided that I was going to forego that industry because I I didn't care about it. So I was like, Mm -hmm. if I just go and do this thing that I don't like, what is my hope of where I'll be in five years? You know, I was like, I don't. And so he gave me the foresight to not do that. And then I just read into the wild by John Krakauer. And I decided to drive across the country with my dad for, for three months 
and figure out like, what did I care about? What actually mm-hmm. made me happy? And, and on that trip, um, we were driving through Michigan, this beautiful road. And, and um, my dad was telling me about his military service as a pilot. And, um, and I was like, wow, it's, you know, it sounds like you're really proud of what you did in the military. And he said, um, yeah, it was. And he turned it back on me and he said, what's the last thing you've done that you're proud of? And I realized that I, I didn't have an answer right away. And I sat there for probably 20 minutes. And I just sat with it. And then the first thing that came up is that actually my junior year of college, I had spent three months uh, supporting this organization that provides adaptive athletic opportunities. So sports for young people with disabilities in Chicago. And I, I was working 40 hours a week, but I raised, you know, $10,000 for these, this organization. I, I was helping young people with disabilities to go water skiing and ran a charity volleyball tournament. It was flyer bombing thousands of people in North beach. And it was like, I was working really hard, but also with a great deal of autonomy. And I thought about what I created there. And I was like, Oh, wow. Like that, when I was in Chicago, I was more excited that I had a fake ID and that I was like hanging out in (laughs) Chicago and living by myself when I was 20. But I looked back on this. And when he talks about happiness being the thing that brings long lasting, you know, sustainable feelings of, of good feelings, uh, that gave me that. And then I would told my dad this and he just looks back at me simply and he says, well, then why don't you do more of that? And I think what's, what's easy is when I think about it as a coach, it's, you know, oftentimes when people are at rock bottom, it's much easier for them to make a, a change because they're not mm-hmm. afraid of losing anything. They're not afraid of losing the relationship or the job that they don't even really want. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really have anything. And so I was like, well, that made me feel good. So I, started doing more of that. And that's helped me to start this organization called Dreams for Kids DC, which is now one of the largest adaptive athletic providers in Washington, DC. And so that talk that I gave when I was younger was, what if the answers are questions? And it was basically this idea of like, what are the questions that young people can be asking? Like I was Mm -hmm. gifted, like, what are you proud of? Like, what makes you happy? Where are you seeking pleasure? What's the definition of purpose and passion? And just these questions rather than so many people, I think, try to talk at young people and tell them what they should be doing. And for me, again, what was so valuable was just someone coming in and giving me a question and the space to answer it mm-hmm. so I could figure it out on my own. And so, which is then, you know, there's this beautiful Rilke quote about um, uh, basically loving, loving the questions because you cannot yet live them. And like, if you just live the questions and one day you will live your life into the answer. And so mm-hmm. it's like, live, the, live the questions now. And I've always loved that idea. And so, yeah, what if, what if the questions are the answers, which was the, the first TED Talk I gave. But the really funny thing about that TED Talk is that I was very, very nervous. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, talked, I, talked to, I talked to my mom. I had, just, I had just thrown a big fundraiser in Washington, D.C. the night before. Mm-hmm. I had to drive all the way to Virginia Beach uh, to this NASA headquarters. And um, when I, I talked to my mom, and I was like, Mom, I can't, I can't stop moving when I'm practicing this talk. Like, I'm nervous, and I'm like pacing and I was like I'm worried that I'm gonna walk all over the stage it's like what do I do and she's like oh easy it's like all you got to do is stand up and then just kick your leg out like a couple of inches and then you'll have like a power stance like if you think about when you're standing with your leg straight versus if you kick your leg out a little bit and then you have like a power stance and you'll be really steady and so it's like great idea I practice it looks fine but when I actually did it on the stage, I feel like I kicked my leg out too far. And so if you look at me on the, the video and I, I laugh about it now, I was, I was mortified of it when it came out, but my legs are just like a little bit too far apart. <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of weird. So it's always funny when I look at it now. I'm sure by now you've heard me or others talk about the benefits of using CBD oil. And I'm telling you that it works. 
Direct CBD Online provides natural alternatives to prescription painkillers and medications. They sell only the highest quality CBD oils, edibles, creams, and more to help you on your search for natural well-being. And they strive to assist you in making informed decisions about your health and the products and supplements you use. If you've been thinking about trying out CBD, I highly encourage you to use Direct CBD Online. Click the link in the description to get started today. Oh, well, again, so many good points that you're making and and the cathartic moment of being asked, you know, did you know the difference between passion and happiness and how many people, irrespective of age, exist in that space and struggle to understand why things aren't working for them. And it's because they're looking for these quick, you know, this makes me feel better for a day or this makes me feel better for two days, but recognizing the things that truly bring us joy can be so incredibly simple and we just overlook them so easily. Mm. What I find funny about mentioning about your talk, um, I have a tendency when I'm nervous to move. And so one of the things I, and I stop reading comments under Ted talks cause it's not particularly helpful. <laughs> Sometimes people can be pretty brutal. I, I tend to move. And so what did people talk about? I was moving. Someone's like, she makes me dizzy. And so just acknowledging that when we're nervous, you know, sometimes that nervous energy can translate into different things for you. It was, you know, this kickstand, kickstanding leg, <laughs> um, power position for me, a little too much animation and, and movement. But, uh, you know, if you can get the point across, I think people sometimes will forgive you, but I can certainly appreciate why that. Um... Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. 
The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFOS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. I, I love that you brought it up because one of the things that, you know, it's, um, I'm not doing as much of it these days, but I, I would work with a lot of my my coaching clients on presentations mm-hmm. and when I would talk to people who, who deal with stage fright, who deal with anxiety as it relates mm-hmm. to speaking in front of a group, you know, oftentimes one of the, the reframes that is so powerful is that basically it's, it's again, it's anytime that we're feeling anxiety, it's like mm-hmm. most of the time, it's like we're, we're not like escaping a, a fire. It's like mm-hmm. we're not like running away from a line. It's like anxiety, fear. It's just our brain trying to keep our body safe. It's mm-hmm. doing its best to keep safe. That's its core purpose is just to mm-hmm. keep us safe. And so it doesn't want us to get made fun of. It doesn't want us to do a bad job because then we'll get ridiculed. And like, this is going all the way back to basically mm-hmm. kind of like the paleolithic and that yeah. if we are being ostracized by a group, then we'll get kicked out of the group and we'll yeah. miss the hunt. And so <laughs> it's really ramping up the, the, the possible kind of downside much worse than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. But so all that we can think of is like when we have that energy there, like before you step onto a stage and you feel maybe a little bit of dry mouth or you feel Mm -hmm. kind of a pit in your stomach is that rather than saying, it's like, like I'm worried, it's I care. Right. I care about this. This is Mm -hmm. important to me. This is meaningful. Mm -hmm. And when you can acknowledge that, like it really is a gift to to care about something. Mm-hmm. It's like, and so to say, it's like, I have this energy. And then it's again, it's like, rather than not thinking about it, it becomes again, this is where the emotional work is really powerful. It's like, oh, it's like, when I have that energy that's there, I can do something with it. It's mm-hmm. like, rather than kind of like neglect it or try not to focus on it. It's like, if I care about something, which is why it's there, you can tap into it. And that is energy to go out and do something with it. You can mm-hmm. channel it somewhere. So once you become more conscious and, and capable of, of engaging uh, that type of energy when it's in you, you can really start to transmute that and, and move it in ways that are beneficial to your performance. Absolutely. I, I know for myself and, and recognizing with my many years of Western medicine behind me that that sympathetic drive, like you meant fight or flight, I'm being chased by a saber toothed tiger. But in those circumstances, obviously you're not in an unsafe environment is tapping back into the parasympathetic. And so I used to always call it the four, four, four. So I knew that I could stimulate my vagus nerve if I took two, you know, four breaths in, held it for four seconds, let it out for four seconds. And so that was the breathing work for me was my way of kind of providing that reframe, letting my body know you're safe, you're in a good position, you're just excited, you care about this. Um, you know, unlike our ancestors who, as you mentioned, might have been dumped out of the tribe and not gotten their their fill of some food, which understandably would be, you know, would be a, a larger big deal than just speaking in front of an audience. Totally. 
So, you know, I know that limiting beliefs are a large part of the work that you do and and certainly a lot of the work that I do with my female patients. And so when we're talking about limiting beliefs and whether it's, I I can't get on stage and I'm not going to be able to execute this talk or, you know, having interpersonal relationships or relationships with our family members, what are some of the ways that you kind of address these limiting beliefs or you call them out or you reframe them for your patient or your clients um, for the better? Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of not recreating what what is not broken. And so I think that the most powerful framework that exists to help people to evaluate their limiting beliefs is, is probably Byron Katie and the work. I if, love Byron if, Katie. Yeah. And so it's again, it's and it's and it's worth just repeating here because it's such a, a powerful introduction. But if you just consider this, it's almost any time that you feel, let's say, bad. You know, if you are feeling an emotion that is undesirable or a way of being that is undesired, it is likely because you are operating in a story. Mm-hmm. You're operating in a belief about what the future holds. It's because it's like when we're just fully present in this moment, when we're not considering like what is going to happen, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty good. And so an example of this again is like, so if we feel any sort of anxiety, whether that's before you're getting onto a stage, whether that's when you're waking up in the morning and you have a concern about what's going to happen with work, like whatever that is. So the work is this reframe that allows you to evaluate and connect with the stories that you may mm-hmm. not be even conscious of. And so basically it would just say, you know, if I if I am waking up this morning and I have a worry about my website that we've we've hired about a hundred people in the past couple of months, and so it's like that we don't have enough people on the team to handle our our course load. And I wake up and I have a reaction in my body that like it's like it's worry, and mm-hmm. I can feel it in my body. And so there's there's four questions in a turnaround in the work, and the first one would basically say, "Is this true? So do we not have enough people to handle the workload today? Is this true?" And I say yeah, maybe it's true. It's like, I think it could be true. And then the second question would be, can you 100% for certain know that this is true? So can I know that this is true, that this thing is going to happen mm-hmm. for certain? And the answer is no, I can't, I can't know that now. Mm-hmm. So I identified that I cannot know that this thing is 100% for true. And the third thing would be, how do I react when I accept this is true? And as I woke up this morning, it's like, oh, well, I feel worried. And I feel this like kind of contraction in my, mm-hmm. in my gut. Um, and then the next one would be, so who would I be without the story? Without the story, I, I would have woke up. I probably would have felt a little more present, a little more relaxed. I mm-hmm. wouldn't have had the contraction in my stomach. So now I've identified what I'm sacrificing. And then you would bridge into the fifth one, which is just, could the opposite be true? Mm-hmm. And this is your turnaround. of like, could I have enough people to handle the queue this morning? I could. It's very mm-hmm. much like there. And so like what I've just done it, and then basically, so I woke up with that worry and then I went to my computer and I checked and we're doing completely fine. So the, the opposite of what my story was, was mm-hmm. there. And it's, it's, again, it's just remember, it's like any time that you're not feeling great, you just ask yourself, like, what is the story mm-hmm. or a prediction? What, what am I telling myself that the future holds? And if you just run it through here, what you will do is the goal is not necessarily to debunk that that's a possibility, but it's to show you that when we buy into these stories and these beliefs, almost always they are limiting our ability to perform at the level mm-hmm. that we are capable of. Because very few people, you know, there are some like narcissists, maybe one who's kind of in the White House, <laughs> or, but who, 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 wake, who wake up, who wake up and their first thought is like, I am 
invincible. I am yeah. so powerful and I can do whatever I want. And, but I mean, and we can talk about those kinds of empowering beliefs, which is a powerful mm -hmm. reframe of this as well. It's that so many of our beliefs, again, are those that is our brain at a very base level, just trying to keep us safe. Just trying to keep us safe. And so it's not even a bad thing. And it's not to judge those beliefs. It's like, that's our brain just basically right. repeating some patterns that have been established for a long time that we learned from our parents, they learned from their parents and mm -hmm. so on. And so once we have identified the story, we see that it limits our ability to perform at the level that we want to, to do what we want to do in the world for our companies, for our families, for our marriages, whatever it might be. So then we can come back to what we do control. And I, so I think that a much more powerful thing to drive our behavior, to drive our communication is values. Mm -hmm. Is basically, it's when we understand like what our values are, just some of these subjective, but like hard line things that we truly believe about who we are. Like what are the values that I need to express to be me in the world? And when we start to understand like what those values are, like when I, when I get ready to go onto a stage, it's like, I know that authenticity presence, like those two things, I know that am I, if I am authentic, that mm -hmm. I can, I can connect more deeply. I can impact people more deeply than I can. If I package my ideas and I try to show up and hit every single point, mm -hmm. it's like when I have these values that I can come back to presence is being in the moment, being out of story, just being mm -hmm. right here, right now, like looking at you, not thinking about mm -hmm. anything else that like, that is, that is a gift to me. That is a gift to the people that I'm with. And so it's like, when I'm clear on what these values are, I can start to express my actions from a place that is more intrinsically motivated mm -hmm. as opposed to one that is seeking external validation or yeah. results. And when we, we start to act from that intrinsic motivation, we are infinitely more capable of achieving whatever our goal or object is, but we also are just more likely to feel better mm -hmm. along the way. And so it's, again, it's, you know, when we, we identify those limiting beliefs, those stories that oftentimes limit our, our ability to perform, what's also powerful is to find empowering beliefs, mm -hmm. which is, I think, again, values. Like what we just talked about is, is an idea of an empowering belief, which is I just said that when I am authentic, I, I, I have the capacity to impact people more deeply. Mm -hmm. People connect with me when I'm just honest, no matter how hard that may be to hear. Mm -hmm. That's a belief that... Is that true? Uh, it, who knows? In some cases it might be, in some it might not. But right. like that allows me to express myself in the world. It's like an empowering belief. One of the most important empowering beliefs that I have with, with the CEOs that I work with is like the idea of so many of us who are still dealing with this imposter syndrome or this people pleasing mm -hmm. as CEOs, as executives, as business people, what I oftentimes say is like, it's like that they have the, the desire. It's like, I need to be liked to be mm -hmm. an effective leader. And what the reframe is like, I need to be respected to be a good leader, mm -hmm. not be liked. And it's this idea of like helping people to release this people pleasing yeah. and like seeking something bigger. It's like, I need to be respected, but I don't need to be liked to be mm -hmm. respected. And like how that shifts, how people show up in their work, where they no longer need approval. They just need to honor with integrity, their mission, the values that are there. And it just, it's one of the simplest one that transforms that. And so, you know, I think that, um, yeah, it's beliefs is, is such a fascinating territory to play from. But even there, it's again, it's I like those idea of triggers is the next time that you are feeling you're in an undesired state is just ask yourself, what is the story that I'm in right now? Run it through the work and then you come back to, OK, so without the story, what do I want to do? Right. Well, I love, yeah. I love that you brought up Byron Katie. And so the first time I was introduced to her, I listened to a podcast with Lewis House, a so school of greatness. If you've never seen it or listen to it is the first podcast I've ever listened to three times. Hmm. 
because it was so valuable. And I, every time I listened to her conversation, I got something more out of it. And then of course I went on to deep dive into all things Byron Katie, but, you know, having that, is this the story, you know, what story are you spinning for yourself? I think that's so, so powerful. So if anyone is listening and is not familiar with her, you should really check out her work. It's so, so powerful. And I love that you talk about empowering beliefs. I think we're so focused on limiting beliefs, but as someone who has always been, well, was always a people pleaser her entire life. Uh, the only way I've been able to step into my true kind of intrinsic power of who I am as a woman has been to have those empowering beliefs, to let go of the wanting to be liked and to acknowledge that I'm going to do a whole heck of a lot better if I come from a heart center, I'm here to educate, I'm here to be open and honest, even if it makes me uncomfortable and I want to cringe. Um, that is a much more empowering position. So I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah, and, it's, and it takes work. I think that mining, because again, it's like, our, we, our, we don't optimize and our parents didn't help us to optimize and school didn't help us to mm -hmm. optimize for personal transformation. You know, it's like our minds are going to optimize for safety and whatever we perceive that to be. And so empowering beliefs are not on the menu. This is a secret. This is like the secret menu that's not listed. It's like you're going to have to do this work on your own to sit down and say, it's like, you know, what do I know to be true about how the world works or what I need to do to be myself? It's like, and what are those beliefs that I can look at here that, uh, that again, when we start to have these, these types of subconscious truths, that we can embed so deep in our psyche, what happens is like we start to mold our identity. And there's this powerful thing called the identity model of change. I think about it a lot in, in men's work, but the identity model of change basically says that who we think we are determines what we do. Is that oftentimes in behavior change, we think about two variables. We think about here's the, the goal that I have, and then here are the behaviors that I can introduce to achieve it. And so it's like, again, it's you know, for, for somebody who's in, in wellness, I love these people, it's let's think about weight loss. So weight loss. So it's like, uh, what is my goal? I want to lose 25 pounds in the next six months. Okay, great. Um, what am I going to need to do to that? Okay, so I need to limit my sugar intake. It's like I'm not doing any carbs. It's I'm only going to eat, you know, for seven, like for a couple hours a day, whatever that might be. So here are the behaviors. And if I do all that, I'll achieve my goal. But what people don't consider is the third variable in this equation, which is my identity, which is who do I think I am? Because you can have the, the best laid plans, but if ultimately you believe that you are not a, a, a healthy person, mm -hmm. if you believe that like you are not like motivated, if you don't believe that health is fundamental to you like executing your mission, to you being the best mother, the best mm -hmm. uh, partner that you can to like actually kind of like servicing the world as deeply as you're here to do. Like if you don't have that sort of identification of why this is so important, mm -hmm. then those behaviors are just going to revert back to whatever the identity is that, you know, I'm actually like food's not that important. You'll revert back to the behavior that align with your identity. And so when we think about these empowering beliefs, um, it's so important because it's, again, it's who we think we are mm -hmm. is going to determine what we do. And so finding these deeper values and beliefs about what's important in the world, what's important for you to do will drive your behavior and over time, you know, subconsciously, you just watch yourself starting to do it more naturally without even needing to think about it because it's just who you are. And we get to create that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the power of neuroplasticity, you know, our thoughts become our actions. And so recognizing that if you're going to create goals for yourself, that you're not setting up uh, obstacles on your way to those goals. And, and 
really seeing for yourself. I always say like, I can see my goals looking forward. I can see where I want to be. And it's like, what are the things I need to do in between here and there to make them happen? Yeah, totally. There was a quote that I saw on your website. You said, we all have the power to respond to the current situation, however we'd like. And so I think given our current circumstances, social distancing, depending on where people are that are listening in the United States or abroad, um, how do we kind of cultivate our perspectives and um, appreciation of where we are, even though we may not be in the positions that we want to be in, meaning we may not be able to go to the gym, we may not be able to go to the pool, we may not be able to get in a car and go see, you know, grandparents or family or friends, how do we cultivate that in our lives right now, given our circumstances? Yeah, I think I think that what's what's really important here, again, is one of my favorite concepts in coaching is the idea of the frame or the reframe is that it's when you look at something like what is happening right now, an international pandemic, it's what are you making this mean? What does this mean for society? Is this society coming to an end as we know it? Or is this society recreating itself Mm -hmm. in a more egalitarian, just way? It's like, whatever these are, they're both stories, they're both meanings. And so without making an assumption about what this means for all people, Mm -hmm. without bypassing the very real challenges that so many are facing and will Mm -hmm. continue to face, the frame of of what it means for us as individuals, I think is so powerful. And my friends, Justin and Jackie, um, they they run an organization called the Flow Consciousness Institute, which is the idea of basically how do we introduce the like brain science into the cultivation of flow Mm -hmm. states. And they're really brilliant. And and Justin has this one frame that, that I think is so powerful. And the frame is, everything happening right now is calling me forward to the highest expression of myself. And while we're in this challenge right now, if you just say that, like what is happening right now, which is very challenging, the, mm-hmm. the isolation industries going away, friends and family who are, who are losing jobs, you know, who mm-hmm. are going on assistance. It's mm-hmm. very real challenges, but again, challenges cultivate strength. And mm-hmm. it's like, whatever this growth is, this opportunity to pause, to reevaluate how we are running our business, how we're working with our family, how we're showing up for our bodies. It's that frame of everything happening right now is calling me forward towards the, the highest expression of myself. And like, that can be true if you decide that it is. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that, and that's not by, I think what an important thing to call out there is the idea of, you know, when people bring in these types of belief work and spirituality, it's like, how can you, how can you integrate those types of beliefs mm-hmm. um, with very real things that are happening in the world? How do we not bypass, you know, things that are happening in the world? And what I think is so powerful about this is that when you have a personal belief like that, it's in me, what that, what that cultivates is a sense of presence, mm-hmm. is a sense of curiosity, is a sense of action, right? Which So that belief in me cultivates an increased energy and ability to, to grow, to be of service to others, to then ask myself, like, what is happening in the world? Where can I be of service? Mm-hmm. So it is, it's a really powerful frame of just, again, it's like, what is happening right now? And, and how is this calling you forward to the highest expression of yourself and service? And you know, in these types of times where things are are rapidly changing, and there is a lot of challenge for people to look at, there's a lot of opportunity to, to contribute. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is like, how can, how do we, how will we use this as an opportunity to cultivate more of who we are and to be of service, however we can. 
Well, thank you. That's so powerful. I've really enjoyed our discussion this morning. I'd love for you to share how our listeners can connect with you, learn more about what you are offering and check you out online. Yeah, well, I love the chat as well. Um, and so the easiest way to connect with me is I have my website, it's andrewhorn.com, where I host my podcast, What's the Big Idea, and a lot of writing and, and other retreats and stuff like that that I'm hosting. Uh, but the, the coolest thing to check out right now would probably be Tribute, which is we decided to make a tribute, which is imagine Cynthia waking up on her birthday and she gets a video from 20 of her closest friends who have all filmed a one minute video telling her why they love her and think she's awesome. Oh, that's, a tr- that's, a, that's a tribute video. That's what our service does. And so we actually decided to make it completely free of charge for anyone who's been impacted by social distancing. And so um, if you have a friend who's canceled a wedding or someone has a birthday or a graduation coming up and you want to you know, do something meaningful for them, just head over to tribute.co and you can use the code you got this 25 no spaces all lowercase um, and create what we think is the most meaningful gift on earth fun stat about tribute is that 80 percent of our tribute recipients report crying tears of joy when they watch their video which is pretty cool uh, but yeah so on my website on tribute easiest way to keep in touch with me but uh, thanks so much for having me on today such a pleasure enjoy your time in california Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.